Good evening. Glad to have you joining us on this Good Friday. I'm Pastor Nate Keeler. I'm the lead pastor here at Brandywine Valley Church, and we have been spending this Lent season walking with Jesus in that dark descent in his suffering that ultimately leads to this evening, the final humiliation, the deepest and the darkest of suffering of Jesus at his death on the cross. This is a tenebrae service, which means if you haven't been to one or maybe you're not familiar with it, it's really sitting in, allowing yourself to meditate in the darkness of Jesus' suffering and taking that on yourself. We invite you throughout this time to take in the cross, take in his abandonment, take in the agony as he goes to Golgotha. And throughout this uh, about an hour-long service, we're going to extinguish candles along the way. And as we extinguish these candles, uh, it's going to symbolize the extinguishing of Jesus's life as he goes to the cross. At the end of this service, we would invite you to meditate just quietly in the darkness and then leave in silence when you're ready to leave. You can stay as long as you like, but then please exit quietly. I want to read to you from Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith who through the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you will not grow weary and become faint-hearted. Everything that Jesus would suffer, all of the agony, all of the shame, all of the humiliation... He was willing to endure it because, as the writer of Hebrews says, because of the joy that was set before him. He had a prize. He had a goal. And of course, that goal was us, was a people, a bride, a people of his own possession to love and do life with forever and ever and ever. And so as we go through this day, may you allow the joy of the Lord to be in your heart. Yes, we're going to experience the intensity of his suffering, but do it with a joy set in your heart because there was a joy set in Jesus' heart because he was chasing after us with an unconditional love that was for every single one of us and toward every single one of us. May the Spirit meet you with his love and his joy. Thank you. 
that if God kept a record of every single sin, who in the world could stand? Of course, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no one. Can you imagine if God kept a giant file container of every single sin that you and I have ever committed and when one day we, when we stand before him, he laid that on us? Can you imagine the weight? None of us could stand. But David says, but with you, there is forgiveness of sins. Now, how could David say such a thing? He could only say it by the Spirit, looking forward to one who would come to a Messiah that would take all the weight of the sin, every single one of our sins, and place them on himself on the cross. The one who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And it's because of that that it opens up the reality of confession. You know, confession is, we might think of it as a, as a, a sad or a hard thing to do, but it's really a beautiful thing to do. It's, a, it's a, a life-giving thing to do, to be able to confess. We can confess to the Lord knowing what? That he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and he's already proved it in the Son, Jesus Christ. And so we want to open up this space for you to confess sin, known sin, ask the Lord uh, by his Spirit to reveal sin uh, to you uh, that is unconfessed, and take this time as we play some music to bring those sins before the Lord at such a time as this.
and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. He said to them, my soul, my soul so sorrowful, even to the point of death, remain here and watch. Going a little farther, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch even for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and he prayed in the same, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know how to answer him. And he came a third time and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Arise, be going. My betrayer is at hand. Oh. 
And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd of swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I kiss is the man, seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him and at once he said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. And Jesus said to him, have you, said to them, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. A young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you were also with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it. He said, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out to the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystander, this man was one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, while the bystanders again came to Peter, they said, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke curses on himself and swear, and he said, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept.
My name, it's, <laughs> call me Simon. It's not important anyway. You look like a traveler. Were you at Golgotha today? I was. I didn't plan to be, but I was. <laughs> Plans. What a joke. I didn't plan any of this. None of this is what I expected. I was his right-hand man. I had it all figured out. I, I knew I never had him figured out. You're familiar with him, no doubt. The healer, the rabbi, the rebel. <laughs> but he was so much more than that to me. You know, I was one of the first ones he asked to follow him, right? 
I got in on the ground floor. I laughed with him. I fished with him. I ate with him. I sat around the fire with him. I heard him tell stories about his father, and I was the first one to get it. I was the first one to speak the truth that everyone else was afraid to put into words. He looked at us, and he said, who do you think that I am? I'll never forget it. He had the most curious look in his eye when he asked us that. You know what it reminded me of? He looked the way my wife looks when I walk in the door and she's prepared my favorite meal. It's a look of anticipation. Waiting to see my reaction when I smell that lamb roasting in her special mix of spices. That was the look he had. A look of excited anticipation to see if we got it. To see us react as we realized the truth. And I did. I got it. And I spoke it aloud. He was the Messiah. The anointed one. The one sent to deliver us and fix the mess we're in. And I knew it first. He said I was a rock. Andrew said he must have meant I was dumb as a rock. But no, I knew what he meant. And I was ready to be the general of his army. No, more than ready, I was eager. Waiting for that moment to prove my worth to him. Last night. I thought that moment had come. So when the priests arrived with the soldiers to arrest him, I drew my sword and I rushed those soldiers arresting him because that's what the Messiah's right-hand man is supposed to do. Except, he said no. He told me to put away my sword. And he healed the wound I had inflicted. I didn't get it. And they took him. They tried him. They beat him. They crucified him. He warned me that I would deny him. <laughs> I argued with him. <laughs> I told him he was crazy. I told him I would die for him. <sighs> but here I am. I ran. I fled the soldiers. 
I couldn't even stand up to a servant girl when she said she recognized me. Some general. Afraid of a little kid. He was my friend. How could I have done that? I went back. As I said, I, I was there. I had a cloak over my head, and I stayed towards the middle of the crowd so that nobody could see me. I couldn't even bring myself to look at him. But I could hear. Above the murmuring of the crowd, I heard him. That voice I've learned so well over the last three years. Weakened, strained, anguished, but still so familiar. Of all the incredible things that I've seen and heard while following him, the words he spoke in that moment, top the list, Father, forgive them, but they know not what they do. standing there, lost in the shadow of my betrayal, I, I knew I was one of them. He forgave me, I know it, but I can't bring myself to accept it. Bled and 
The soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on him. They began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! They were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put on his own clothes. They led him out to be crucified. They compelled a passer they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. They crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription and the charge against him read, King of the Jews. With him, they crucified two robbers, one on his left and one on his right. And those who passed by him wagged their heads, saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He can't even save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we might see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Labak Samachthani meaning, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it saying, behold, he's calling for Elijah. And some ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And at this, Jesus uttered a loud cry, and he breathed his last.
I wonder how many of you have had the experience, I know I have, when you're upset with someone, maybe you're, you think you're upset with the kids or a coworker for making a mistake, messing something up, something that causes you more work, and you're upset until you finally realize, uh-oh, actually, it was my mistake. It was my error. It wasn't my kids that I can blame. It wasn't my spouse. It wasn't my coworkers I could blame. It was actually my mistake. You know, you're upset because you think it was your kids that left the gate open and the, you know, the dog ran out and then you realize, oh, wait a second, I was the last one. Or you were upset with your spouse because you thought for sure they were the ones that left the refrigerator door wide open and all the food is spoiling and then you realize you were actually the last one. I've been through that experience. It's a humbling experience. It's a mea culpa experience experience. Not fun. It's, it's one that causes uh, uncomfortable feelings and conversations around the house. And when I think about that, I think about how often we approach the reading of this story of Jesus's suffering and his death. We look at Peter and we, we get angry at Peter. How could you, Peter? How could you deny your friend and your savior and your rabbi like that? It was only a servant girl. We get upset with the disciples who flee. How could you abandon Jesus? Don't you remember the healer? Don't you remember the things that he said? Don't you remember Jesus on the boat when he calmed the water? How could you abandon him in his time of need? We get upset with Pilate and his fear and his indecision and being afraid of what people will think, being more concerned of his own status than he was of the, of the innocent one, Jesus, decreeing that he go to the cross. Why didn't you stick to your guns, Pilate? Or upset with the soldiers? How could they? How could they mock him like that? How could they put those nails in his hands and feet? And on and on it goes as we read the story. And then as we begin to read the story, the question that we have to ask is, when Mark was writing and the readers were reading or the hearers were hearing, who were they supposed to relate to in the story? And I'm reminded of my, one of my favorite hymns, How Deep the Father's Love for Us by Stuart Townend. And he has a lyric in, in that song that says this, Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders, ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Friends, the reality is that when we place ourselves in the story, we realize to our shock and our shame and our horror that we are not the heroes. We are not even the innocent onlookers. Friends, you and I are the perpetrators in the story. You and I are Peter, ashamed of Jesus in his time of need, more concerned about what other people think of us than we are God. Uh, what, what, our loyalty to God. You and I are the soldiers just following, you know, 
what everyone else is doing. I'm just doing duty. This is what everyone does instead of following the way of God. You and I are pilot, more concerned with our status and our reputation at times instead of doing justice and showing mercy and doing what's right. You and I are certainly disciples that when things get hard, when things don't seem to be going our way, what do we often do? Well, we often disappear and abandon our faith. See, friends, you and I are the perpetrators. You say, well, I I never spit in his face. I never mocked him. But every time we use careless words, every time we sin, we mock his righteousness. You say, but I've never beaten and scourged his body. I wasn't there. But every time we gossip about someone else made in the image of God, every time we refuse to reconcile or forgive somebody in the body of Christ, we do it against his body. You say, but I've, I've never gambled for his possessions, but every time we want his blessings more than we want the one who blesses, we do. So I, I wasn't there to drive the nails into his feet and into his hands, but our rebellion is what drove those nails and held him onto the cross. See, friends, not only did Jesus die for us, friends, he died because of us. He died because of you, and he died because of me. You know, as children of God saved by grace, if you are a Christian, we are very quick to rejoice in the triumph of the cross, of the resurrection, and we ought to. We're going to do that on Easter in just a couple of days. We are quick to rejoice in the triumph of the resurrection and our salvation, and rightly so, we ought to, but we need to always pause at Good Friday. We need to pause and sit in these moments, linger in the realization that it was our sin, it was my sin, it was Nate's sin that held him there on that cross. Now, the world will tell you everything I just said, man, that, that is the epitome of psychological abuse. I mean, to say that you're a sinner, to say that you did something that would cause somebody else harm, I mean, that's bad self-esteem. That's a terrible self-image. You should never call yourself that. Friends, the reason it's so important to recognize who we are, recognize what is in our heart, is because until we can grasp the weight of our sin that sent Jesus to the cross, it's only then can we begin to grasp what made that Friday so good. It's only when we begin to come to the realization that we are indeed sinners through and through that we can begin to grasp the wonder of the cross that pays for our sin. Tim Keller once said, We need to realize that we are sinners more than we could dare ever admit. And at the very same time, in Christ, we are loved more than we can ever dare hope. This is the gospel. And this is the true epitome of health. 
spiritual health, to admit that we don't have it right, to admit that we are flawed, that we are in rebellion, that we don't always follow, but that Jesus paid it all, everything, the whole rap sheet, and he accepts us, and he loves us, and we are his. When you can say that, you can come to a place of true humility. And it's a time like Good Friday that we can celebrate and remember that truth. As you listen to this last song sung over you tonight, friends, let the passion of the Christ wash over you. Let what he went through to love you capture your heart and your soul tonight. Allow him access to everything that's hidden in in the corners of your heart. Everything that even you might hide from yourself. Allow him access to that, to bring it to light and to heal it. To wash it clean under the blood of Jesus Christ. After this song, we want to invite you to meditate for as long as you want. And in the darkness of this room, please leave silently. And we would look forward to seeing you on Easter Sunday. Thank you.